one of the things I'm super thankful for about our church is just um, the time of worship. And uh, would you guys just express your appreciation to the team this morning? I thought they did an awesome job. I'm so glad that God gave uh, people the gift to, to do that. And not just the gift of like music in general, but just there's something about leading people into the presence of God. And uh, I needed it this morning um, a lot. We're in week two of a series called Campfire Stories. And, and what we're doing in this series is we're looking at stories from the Old Testament. And we're looking about how we find God, how we find Jesus, how we understand the gospel in a better way by looking at these stories. Because in many ways, the, the, the Bible, if you did not know, is, is broken into two sections. There's the Old Testament, which is the story of, of creation up until the point of Jesus. And then the New Testament is the story of Jesus and his ministry and then the early church. And so the Old Testament really makes way for the need for Jesus. While there's some laws and some things in there that don't apply to us today, they help us better understand the deep need that we have and that the people at that time in particular had for a savior, a deliverer, a king, the need for Jesus himself. And we're calling this Campfire Stories uh, because there's something about in the Midwest in particular, at the hottest time of the year, we sit around a hot circle of fire. And when we do that, we tell stories. When we do that, there's something natural about how we begin to put our phones away. Sometimes we don't have good service. We begin to tell stories from our lives. And the Bible comes from an oral tradition of storytellers. Now, these aren't like your uncle who made up the crazy stories that were never really true. These are true stories. But that's how they would keep up. It wasn't like immediately Adam and Eve were like, all right, let's get out some papyrus and let's just start writing this stuff down how we messed up. It took time, and so for generations, people would tell the stories. That's how, in particular, when things were difficult, God's people were able to continue on because they could tell the next generation. And oftentimes, when things had gone wrong in their history, it was because the generation before that had stopped telling the stories. They forgot forgot to remember God. Last week, we talked about this story about Moses, who God used to deliver the, the Israelite people out of enslavement in Egypt, and he had a promised land for them. And in this story, we learned about a man named Joshua, who ends up being the warrior who fights with them. But the the big lesson from last week is this idea that we have to remember God in his faithfulness to help us deal with our own unfaithfulness. This morning, I want to tell uh, a story that is near and dear to my heart. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, It comes from, from the book of Judges. And uh, I'm going to tell the story, but I'm also going to read a little bit of the scripture here and there. And again, reading the scripture for yourself is incredibly important. So please, like, write it down, make a note to go read it for yourself. But I want to tell the stories most of the time during this series because I think it would be important because there's something about hearing a story rather than just reading something that brings it a little bit more to life. Now, a lot of people, when uh, my wife Hunter and I uh, were, were pregnant a few years ago, well, she was pregnant. I was not so much. I looked it, but I was not. Everyone wants to know what the name of your kid is going to be, right? You know, some people, you know, as soon as they're pregnant, they, you know, start telling like, 
Layla Rose is, is going to be the name or something like that. No, no offense. If there's a Layla Rose in this room, I'm sorry. But like they want to tell the stories. We decided personally that we wanted the secret. Like we wanted to like do this big reveal at the end. And uh, and so, of course, everyone's just interested in wanting to know. So eventually they pare it down to, hey, it starts with G. And then we pare it down to, fine, uh, it is a biblical name. And it was crazy because there's not that many boy names with G in the Bible. And I don't know how many times, I could probably almost pay off my student loans, which is saying a lot, uh, by how many times people said, you're going to name him Goliath. (laughs) Which I just assume it's because I'm like six foot five without shoes on. So it makes sense. I understand where you're coming from. But it was funny. No, the, the, the name that many of you guys know, my son, his name is Gideon. And Gideon, uh, the, the name comes from a story from the Old Testament that, that, that oftentimes people forget about or don't know. Uh, in the book of Judges, when you open it up, you find at the very beginning that it's the end of Joshua's life. Moses delivered the people. He helped. He was God's instrument to deliver the people, and he was the leader until eventually he passed the baton on to Joshua. And Joshua did a great job leading the people. He got to lead them into this promised land that they have. And during Joshua's reign, things were good. They remembered God. They were faithful to him. They, they overall were doing really good. And the whole idea of when God brought the people into this promised land, it was this idea that he was going to continue to multiply their land. If you remember... When God created this promise, this covenant with this man named Abraham, he said that, 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 that his ancestors, that, 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 that his people would, would just be huge, that they would cover the whole world, and that in particular, they were going to be a blessing to all nations. And so God's idea was that they would come into this promised land, they would take it over, and then they would continue to take over land. And the whole idea is that while they would live among the people, they would be a holy people, which means they would be set apart and they would be different. But what happened is instead of them continuing on in, 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 in taking on the land and influencing the people around them, living in such a way that they were holy and set apart that would draw people into that family and into relationship with God, instead they began to become like the people who were around them. They began to adopt gods that they had. They began to practice uh, different things like uh, the way that marriage happened and sexual ethics and all sorts of things. And they became nothing like the set-apart people that God desired for them to be, and they began to look just like everybody else. Now, there's a lesson in there from Jesus, but we'll get to that later. So, what began to happen is there's this vicious cycle throughout the book of Judges, where what would happen is after the Israelite people have forgotten God, they've been unfaithful, they would cry out to God and they'd say, we remember when you brought our ancestors out of Egypt, where are you now? Please save us. And God being a faithful God, constantly trying to restore and redeem relationship, because that's the story of Scripture. It's a story of of broken relationship being redeemed and restored by love, because God is love. And so what happened is is they 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 would cry out, and then God would raise up what we call a judge. Now, we're not talking like Judge Judy here. Like, our idea of judge is a little bit different. But he'd raise up a judge, and a judge was a, a, a person who oftentimes was some sort of military-type leader. They would lead the Israelites in sort of taking back their land, taking back uh, their, their influence. And what would happen is when that person would be raised up, they would be this deliverer person that the people would rally around, and they would sort of become the new leader of the people. But what would end up happening eventually 
is typically after the judge would die, the people would revert back to their old ways. They would become just like the people around them again, and then eventually oppression would happen, and it became this vicious cycle of they cry out to God. God brings a deliverer, a judge. The deliverer helps them. They're back into their freedom. Things are good for a while while they're alive. They go back to their old ways. They cry out again. To be honest, it kind of sounds like my own life, if I'm really honest. But that was, that's the story of Judges. Judges, honestly, is not a, a beautiful story because it's a continual failure on the part of the people. But it's a beautiful story because it's a reminder of God's faithfulness despite all of that. In Judges 6 through 8, we find the story of Gideon. And again, I want to tell this story. What, what ended up happening at this point is uh, there, there had been peace for the Israelite people for a while. But eventually, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they came into the land and they were ravaging the land. Every year at harvest in particular, it became this annual thing for about seven years where they would come in and they would just completely destroy their land. They would they'd pillage and they take everything. And scripture talks about that when they would come in, the amount of camels that they had was, it was, was, as, it was harder to count than the amount of grain that you'd find in the de- or the, the, the sand that you'd find in the desert. So we don't really know a number, but we know there was many, many of them. And so the Israelites eventually, they retreated from where they were, and they were pretty much dwelling in caves and strongholds. They were not in a good position. And God brings this prophet. We don't know who the prophet is. It just says that there's a prophet. And the prophet essentially says, do you know what happened? Remember how I, the Lord your God, delivered you out of slavery in Egypt. And then you've been unfaithful. You wonder why. As you cry out why I'm in this predicament, God sends a prophet and he tells them. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, decides to raise up a leader. Now, the leader who he raises up is not who we'd expect, and that is why the story of Gideon is so interesting. This is what Judges chapter uh, uh, 6, verse 12 says. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior this is what Gideon says to him though he says pardon me my lord but if the lord was with us why has all of this happened to us where are all the wonders that our ancestors had told us about when they said did not the lord bring us up out of Egypt but now the lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midian anyone ever prayed a prayer like that where are you God this is Gideon's response there's an angel of the lord there his response is not a, not a positive one. Not starting off great for Gideon here. But the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midianites' hands. Am I not sending you? That's his response. You kind of find as you read the story of Gideon that Gideon is not necessarily uh, a super quick, decisive person. He's skeptical. To be honest, he's kind of a coward. So when when Gideon is called, he even says, listen, I come from a very uh, insignificant family. I come from the smallest, the weakest of our tribe, of our family. Why would you call me? I think you got the wrong guy. 
Anyone ever experienced that in your own life? God, I think you got the wrong person here. But as we see, God is saying that it's not the strengths that he, it's not, it's not the weaknesses that he has. It's not what he's looking for. The world is looking for a certain type of deliverer, but I have something else in mind. So Gideon asked the Lord, will you give me a sign that this is truly from the Lord? He's still talking with the angel. He says, let me go prepare a sacrifice, a burnt offering for you to show me that it's true. So he goes and he, he gets this burnt offering ready and he places it on a rock. And the Lord strikes it with fire and it burns. And Gideon at this point knows that truly this is God. And so God calls him and he says, listen, your father in your own family or in your own town, they've, they've constructed this large thing called an Asher pole. This was a, a, a pole in which what was used in, in worship to a God that typically when we read it, we want to say Baal, but it's Baal. Now, this was a very normal God that we read about in the Old Testament often. And so Gideon is instructed, I want you to go, and I want you to tear down that pole, and I want you to build an altar to me, and I want you to sacrifice some of the livestock, some of the best livestock from your father's livestock. And so Gideon, again... He's a little bit frightened. I don't, I don't blame him. I can resonate with Gideon. I want to have all the answers. I want to know what's going on. And sometimes I don't want to do the thing that he's called me to do. I want to do it part way. And so in the middle of the night, Gideon goes with ten men. And he tears down the pole. And he offers the sacrifices. And he burns it up. And the next morning, the people gather around. And they call for... Uh, the, the, the word spreads that it, it was Gideon who did this. And so they call for Gideon's father. And Gideon's father essentially says, because at this point he must have worshipped the one true God and also Baal. And he basically says, listen, if you want my son, let, let Baal, the God himself, contend with him. And so he gets this name change. Gideon gets this name change that his name essentially becomes Let Baal Contend With Him. I mean, can you imagine? That's kind of a cool nickname. Like, let this false God take me out. I like, that's pretty cool. And so from then on, I have to think that Gideon has a little bit of maybe a swagger, a bit of pep in his step, feeling like this is pretty cool. But also probably a piece where he's probably hoping, God, let this be done. Like I, I, I started the fire. It was always burning. Right, sorry, I'm not going to go down that road. Well, I started the fire. Let someone else. Now you bring up the true deliverer. But God says, I am not done with you yet, Gideon. And so he tells Gideon to assemble an army, to blow his trumpet. And he, he begins to assemble an army. And it's pretty impressive because he gets 32,000 men to join into this army. Now, again, it's still so much smaller than the army of the enemy, but he's got to feel a little bit better that they have something going there. And for him, since he's a bit of a coward, he's probably thinking, sweet, I can send these guys and I don't have to do anything. That's what I'd be thinking. God begins to tell him that you're going to wage war. You're going to battle. But Gideon still is not sure if this is what needs to happen. He's still not sure if he can trust that what's going on. Again, he's skeptical. He's scared. He's looking for the excuses out. Again, I can identify with Gideon deeply. And so he says, God, will you give me another sign, another showing that you are truly at work in this? And he says, let me place a, a, a thing of fleece out onto the ground. And if you truly are in this, if you truly are the God that you say you are, would you make it that the fleece 
is drenched with the morning dew and the rest of the ground is covered. So God says, I will. So the next morning, Gideon wakes up. Sure enough, he can wring out the fleece till there's a bowl full of water and the ground is dry. Now again, Gideon in some ways is somewhat of an anti-hero because at this point, most of us probably would say, okay, cool. Like that was pretty amazing. I think we're good. Gideon says, can I ask one more time? One more miracle. Like if I'm God, I'm probably like, come on, man. Like, are you serious? And he says, this time, will you cover all the ground with the dew? But will you leave the fleece dry? And God being gracious and good, understanding our weaknesses, understanding Gideon's own skepticalness. I mean, he created him. He says, okay, sure enough, in the morning, the fleece is dry, the ground is wet. At this point, God says, listen, it is finally time. So Gideon finally agrees that that he will lead the army into battle. But here's the thing. God tells Gideon, he says, listen, you have too many men. Can you imagine that? Like you're already outnumbered like five to one. And then God comes and he says, listen, you got too many. Like I'd be like, seriously, can you not make more people and bring them down to me now? Like give us a little more of an advantage. He says, no, 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 no. You have too many. At this strength, you will be able to take, uh, you and the people will take credit for this. And I don't want you to be able to take credit for this. So he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and, and speak in front of all the men. And I want you to tell them, listen. If you're a little frightened about this battle, if you're not so sure about this, you can go home. So he gets up, he tells them this, 22,000 men leave. He goes from an army of 32,000 to 10,000. Now I'm going to be honest, I probably would have been one of the 22,000, just being real. I probably would have been a little frightened. Now at this point, Gideon still has to feel like, God, I'm not so sure about this, I've seen some pretty cool stuff. But 10,000 men, that's it? And God says, hey, listen, uh, I'm, I'm actually not done yet. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down and I want you to have the men drink. And I want you to pay attention to how they're drinking water. And there are two different ways that the men drank. Some of them got down all the way on their knees and they drank like this. And then some of them, scripture says, which I just think is a weird way to put something, says they lapped the water like dogs. Now, I would actually think they would have had like their whole face down in there, but scripture also specifies that they lapped the water out of their hands. So more than likely, they would have done it more like this, which is still really weird. God tells him, listen, I want you to send away the men who got all the way down on their knees and go home. And it will be with the 300 men who who lapped the water like dogs that we are going to deliver the people. Now, again, a part of me is thinking like, listen, if you're comparing them to dogs, I don't know if these are exactly the men I want to go into battle with. Not sure if there's, you know, dogs are great, but maybe not the smartest animals in the world. Now, many scholars wonder if the whole idea was that the men who got down on their knees had maybe kind of put their guard down, and the men who would have drank like this were always ready. So maybe God had something in mind on this. We don't know for sure. But anyway, so the 300 men, God says, I am going to deliver them. So he sends away the men and he tells them, which is so interesting, I want you to make sure that you get all of the jars that would have held the provisions and I want you to make sure that you get all the trumpets. Now trumpets were interesting because they were basically like ram's horns that they would use to help kind of signal different things. So not everyone would have 
one of these horns, one of these trumpets. But God says, part of my plan is you all will have a trumpet. And so, it's night. Gideon still is waiting on the Lord to decide when and how and how this is all going to work. I'm sure if I'm Gideon, I'm probably sitting up like, God, why are we doing this? This is terrible. I should have just continued threshing wheat uh, in secret. That was a good life. And God said, he tells him, get up. I want you to go down with your with your servant, with your right-hand man, and I want you to go down towards the camp of the enemy. And I want you to spy and listen in. And when they get down in there, these men are sitting around a fire. And one of them says, I had a dream last night. There was this round loaf of bread that came tumbling into our camp. And it hit with such an impact that everything just shattered and there was chaos. And Gideon's servant, his friend, he looks at him and he says, Surely this is the sign from the Lord that this is our army. That the Lord has given us victory already. And so they go back to the camp and they assemble the men. And they tell all the men, they split them into three companies, a hundred each. They tell all the men that they need, and I'm sorry, I was going to have props, but I guess I'm not allowed to probably have a torch with that's on fire on a Sunday morning. Sorry about that. They all have torches that are on fire. They all have these jars in which they would have contained the fire so you couldn't see it as they're moving in the night. And they all had these trumpets. And they surrounded the enemy's camp right as they were making a change in night-watching guards. And Gideon instructed his men to do as he did. And so Gideon blows his trumpet as loud as he can. He takes his jar and he smashes it so there is a loud thunder as everyone else does theirs as well. And he lifts up his torch so that in the night sky they can see it. And they all yelled, victory for the Lord and for Gideon. And they must have continued to do this because this is what ended up happening. Well, they wouldn't have had extra jars. This is what scripture tells us happens. All of a sudden, the men awoke, the enemy, in just sheer confusion, panic. They assumed that there was a large army around them. They assumed that they were, as I would like to put it in good Hebrew, dunzo. And many of them begin to flee back to the east, back to where they came. But in the midst of all the chaos, again, you have armies that are from different groups and nationalities. They began, the enemy began fighting with one another. They killed off themselves. They killed off some of themselves and the rest of them fled. And the Israelites were were able to continue to push them on and reclaim their land. The story of Gideon is one that has to do with someone who never should have been in the lead. Someone who others would have discounted. But God used that person So that way his strength could be shown. Now, to be fair, Gideon's story doesn't end as great as it could have. But we'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk this morning, what does this mean for us? That's that's really great, Aaron. That's a neat story. That's really crazy. It is. I mean, imagine who would have thought that God could, I mean, well, we could think God could do that. But who would have thought that an army of 300 men, some of us have probably seen the movie 300, I mean, that you're talking about like these like green berets on steroids um, mixed with 
Navy SEALs are just fighting. This, we're literally talking about the scrubs. The guy sitting on the bench probably. And God doesn't even have to use a sword to claim victory. What does this mean for us today? And what does this mean for us in light of Jesus and as followers of Christ? Here's the first thing that I think it means. I think we learn from this story that empowering words help people become who God has created them to be. Think about this. If we go back to the very beginning of the story, what does God say? He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, at this time, the type of mighty warrior would have been the type that we think of if we've ever heard the story of Samson. We're thinking buff. I mean, kind of picture me. Uh, Buff, really big. You can laugh. That was a joke. Come on, guys. Give me a little something. No, we would have thought about like the chiseled good luck. I mean, we're, we're thinking like a, like the rock. Like we're thinking of that sort of person who is this middle, I mean, they're just, they were made. Like all they eat is steak from the time they grew up. They eat steak and they eat uh, tree bark and they, they drink dirt. I mean, that, this is that, that's the person we think of. And Gideon is not that. Now he has some strengths. At the beginning of the story, I might not have really emphasized this, but it talks about how in secret he's using a wine press to basically create food so that way the Midianites cannot steal it. I mean, he, he, is this, he has this mind that is, is really cunning, but he's not who the people would have thought. You know, the truth is a lot of us probably could say that's part of our story. We didn't fit the mold of what others would say they should be. I'll be honest, that's, that's a huge part of my story. I I didn't fit into the category of what you would say was successful. I wasn't a good student. I wasn't a great athlete. I was a beautiful late bloomer. I mean, I was exactly what everyone dreams to grow up to be. But God slowly over time has shown me that that, that when my weaknesses, when I allow God's strength to, 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 to work through my weaknesses and through my strengths, God can do some really, really cool stuff. That's the story of Gideon, and that's the story of us. We, we see that it is through Christ's sacrifice, through a moment in which the world would say God was weak because he died, we're able to boast in the strength. Now, the good news, as we know, is that he didn't really die. Well, he did die, but he came back, and that's really good news. But here's what I wonder about. I always wonder is, what if, what if God never calls Gideon mighty warrior? What if he just walks in and says, listen, the Lord is with you, that's good enough. And that is good enough. But what if he would have said, listen, the Lord is with you, you outcast loser. It reminds me of my older brother, JJ. He used to always come downstairs and uh, his, his loving nickname for me was always, hey, poo-poo face, let's go to school. It was a really loving, endearing thing. Words matter, right? All of us, I, I don't want to dig up huge scars for people. But words matter. There are, there are nicknames, there are things that scar us from, from what we've been called in our past. There are words that people say that, that, that drive us deep. I mean, it's why in the book of James it talks about how powerful the tongue is. And typically we talk about it from the negative aspect, but think about it from the good aspect. I know there have been people in my life who have called out the, 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 the God-given gifts, talents, ability, long before I ever deserved it, long before anyone could really see it. 
And I believe that their words breathe life into me. And at the very beginning of Genesis, it talks about when God created man in his image, he literally breathed life into them. And I still believe today that our words have the opportunity not just to harm and kill people, but to literally breathe life into people. So let me ask you guys a question. Who is it maybe that God is calling you to breathe life into? Who is God saying, listen, I want to use you. I want you to be my angel, my messenger, and I want you to go and tell someone that even though they feel like they are not, tell them that they are a mighty warrior and I am with them. And maybe who are the people from your past who you need to thank? Who, who called out the goodness in you when you couldn't see it. They called out the ability. And you know what? Sometimes it's not just calling out leadership. Sometimes it's literally calling out and telling people you are worthy. You are not broken. You are deeply, deeply loved. It's called the gospel because it's good news. Here's the second thing that I learned from this story that, 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 that transcends into the gospel, into Jesus and his ministry is that fear cannot survive in the presence of God. Fear cannot survive in the presence of God. Even though Gideon is obviously afraid. We see that, we, we see that later on in, in Scripture. We're, we're reminded of the truth that God will not test us. He will not put us to a certain place beyond what we can handle. And that he will always come alongside and he will always take care of stuff. You know, it's the classic, uh, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. But fear, all of us deal with fear. But you know what fear truly just is? It's a lie. Fear are just lies that we have been fed by the enemy. They're lies that we hear inside of our head. They're lies that others speak over us that tell us that something can't happen. They lie and they say who we are when we're not that. And so as we see in places like 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, and 1 John was written by the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, he says this, There is no fear in love. And when he says love, he says agape love. He's talking about God's love. He's not talking about romantic love. He's not talking about between a brother and a sister or a friend. He is talking about this love that God has for us, something we cannot earn, that we cannot deserve, that God gives to us. He says there is no fear in love. And if God is love, he's saying there is no fear in God. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in the love of God. Now, here's the thing. Let me just tell you. If you have times where you're feeling doubtful and you're feeling fearful, it doesn't mean that like God is like, listen, you stink. I hate you. That's not God. What it means is that we don't have to be afraid. When the world tells you that you must be afraid, when everything seems like it's not going to work. I mean, think about Gideon's story. Everything would say, this ain't going to work. We're outnumbered. We're weak. I'm not the right leader. And then, God, you keep paring things down. But I think the most important part was at the very beginning of the story, before he said, you are a mighty warrior, he said, I am with you. Jesus, later on, is described as the Prince of Peace. And we've talked about this before here, that peace truly is just the presence of God. God is a God of order. 
Fear is chaos. Peace is order. And so where God is, where God is present in a situation, even if everything looks like all hope is lost, we don't have to fear. Because if God is there, if God is in it, everything is going to be okay. My friends, I just want you to know this morning that whatever big trial is happening in your life, whatever you feel like God has called you to that you just don't feel like you can handle. Maybe it's something going on in your marriage. Maybe it's something going on with your children. Maybe it's something going on in your career. Whatever it may be, if you're feeling fearful, just reach out and call to Him. Ask for a sign that He's still there. Ask for direction. But most of all, just trust that He is there, that He is good, that He loves you. That as Jesus called out, that there was one coming greater than him called the Holy Spirit that would be the counselor that would quite literally live inside of us and help us. That's good news. In Romans, Paul is just talking about the goodness of God. He's talking about just life in general uh, and how, how, how just the blessing of who God is in Jesus. And he just says this. He says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? If God is for us, who can stand against us? My friends, in in, in your life, if you're truly following the call of God, if you truly feel like you're trying to live out the life that Jesus has called us to, listen, God is for you. No one can stand against you. It's going to be okay. Here's the last point for this morning. I believe that God uses the unlikely and the unremarkable to do the unlikely and the unbelievable. I mean, think about it. And this is the story of God throughout Scripture. Think about the disciples that Jesus chose to to use. They weren't trained guys who were like, just got out of rabbi school. They weren't the rich and powerful. They're just working class dudes. The, the, the ladies, because it talks about how there were women apostles as well. I mean, one of them was a prostitute. I mean, he did not choose the greatest people. And some of that, I think, is intentional. Because one, God loves all people. But two, when God uses the people who we don't think should be used, there's no way that we can have the opportunity to say, I got it. I did that. But the truth is, if we all dig deep, none of us are perfect. If we all dig deep, even the people that we see who we say they have it all together, they don't. We all have weaknesses. We all have have weak points. And the truth is, is that if we're not reaching out, we're not trying to follow after what God has called for us, the weak points will be our downfall. The truth is, is that when we are in relationship with Jesus, we begin to see that the weak points can become our strong points. Because one of the biggest weaknesses that we have is that we cannot deliver ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. You know, the book of Judges tells a story of a vicious cycle, including Gideon, in which the people would turn back to God, but they would turn away quickly. As soon as Gideon dies, he actually did something really stupid. He created some sort of thing that the people after he died worshipped. And that was the turning point that went away from God. There's a lesson in there about legacy. But the truth is, 
after Gideon, they still needed to deliver. And none of them were good enough. And in your own life, you're going to reach out for things to save you, to deliver you. For some of you, it's going to be a job. For some of you, it's going to be a person. It's going to be a spouse. It's going to be a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It's going to be a child. Whatever it may be, it may be an addiction. None of those things can save you. None of those things can deliver you from the emptiness, from the brokenness of your life. So when Jesus came, he came to be the deliverer once and for all. He came to fight the battle that we could never win on our own. And he did it through the cross. He did it through an empty tomb. So that way, friends, we could never claim the victory for ourselves. That we only have the victory in Jesus It's not something we could do. It's not something we could earn. It's not something we could deserve. It was given to us because God is good. God loves us. And Jesus desires more than anything to be able to restore that relationship for us. This morning, I don't know what your life is like. But I want you to know that in the words of Jesus, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If there's something going on in your life that you just say, there's no way this is going to be able to work out, I want you to know that God has already figured out how he's going to deliver you from whatever it's going to be. Whatever is going on in your life, I promise you, it doesn't mean it's going to be the answer you want. It doesn't mean it's going to be the answer that you desire. It doesn't going to mean that there's not going to be times where God's going to call you to do something crazy, to send away things, to pare things down. But there's something about When there is less, God is more. I know that's true in my life. I think there's a lesson to that. That the more we try to fill our lives with things, with relationships, with people, with with status and prestige, with all sorts of different things, the more it distracts us from God. And for some of us, we need to just pare down in our own lives whatever that looks like to allow God to do something miraculous to do something crazy, to deliver us, and not out of our own strength, but out of His. I'm going to ask you guys to to go ahead and stand. And we're going to sing one last song. But as we are going to sing, I'd ask you just to, to posture your heart into a place where you can hear from God. You can hear from him what he may want to say to you. Maybe maybe he's just calling you with words of saying, you are a mighty warrior. You are my son. You are my daughter who I deeply love. I value you. I believe in you. And most of all, I am with you. Some of us need to hear this morning that the fears in our lives cannot consume us. Because again, he is there. He is with us. And and, and when the fear comes around, when the voices come into our lives that, that tell us we are unworthy, We can't handle it. Did God really say that? We can say, fear, you are a liar. My God loves me. My God is with me. And my God has delivered me. And some of us this morning just need to know that that Jesus really did come for us. Wherever you're at this morning, listen to God and respond how he calls you. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for, God, the story of Gideon. And God, how it reminds us that, God, we don't have to have it all together. God, we can be skeptical. We can be scared. 
But God, we can have gifts that sometimes people don't see, they don't value. And God, you see them, you value them, and you say, I will use that. And I will use you because I find value in you. You are a mighty warrior. God, I pray that if anyone is in this room this morning, God, who who maybe has never experienced the love of Jesus, they've never reached out to him truly and said, I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want to be in relationship with you. I'm tired of carrying the burdens. I'm tired of living an image that others say I am when I know that you say I am loved. God, I pray that this morning that they would reach out, that they would just ask you to forgive their sins, that they would just ask you to walk with them. And God, that they would realize that heaven is throwing a party for them this morning, that others around them are celebrating with them. God, there may be some who have wandered astray like the Israelite people. God, you have saved them before, but you have, they've turned their backs. They've wandered astray. God, I pray this morning that this is a homecoming for them. God, that they would realize just like the younger brother from the story of the prodigal sons, that, God, you reach out to those who run back to you. But, God, also I pray that there are those who are like the older brother who are out in the field, that, God, you run to us as well. God, wherever you're calling us, however you're calling us, this morning I pray in this moment that we hear from you and that we respond in the way that you call us. God, thank you for loving us. And, God, thank you for delivering us from the enemy from our brokenness, from evil, and inviting us in to beautiful, life-giving, life-saving relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Shut 
God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. So why did we name my son Gideon? You know, even though his, his story doesn't end perfect, there are things about him that we would love our son not to be like. There's something beautiful about being able to speak the truth, to tell the story of you, my son, are a mighty warrior. Not because of yourself, but because of God who deeply loves you, who is with you. And that there is a God who desires to continue to be in relationship with you, to continue to use you and how use you as a deliverer for others. Not because you're perfect. Not because you have it all together. Not because as soon as he says you jumped and go. But because he just loves you. And the truth is, my friend, that is the story of us as the church. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. Yet God calls you mighty warrior. Son and daughter. And he still wants to use us even when we're afraid. Our battle may not be against an enemy that's wishing to destroy us. Our battle may be a reclamation story, a rescue story. Because the reality is there are people out in our community, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, who the enemy is battling with, who they seek to kill and destroy. And I believe that God has called us and said, you are a mighty warrior to go into that place with love, with hope, with grace, with peace. And so may you be challenged to leave with the good news of Jesus Christ, to leave with the Holy Spirit and go into those places and be a person of hope, of love, and of grace. Let me say a prayer of blessing over us as we leave this place. Let me remind us one last time. I'm going to be out in the connection or out in the cafe right afterwards. If we've never met, I would love to talk to you. If you're wrestling with the idea of baptism and you want to talk more about that, again, let us know through the connection card, but I would love to talk to you about that. If God's calling you, 
Don't be afraid. He's good, and things will be okay. We pray for you guys. God, I just thank you just so much. God, for the fact that you call us, that you use us. Not in our perfect sense, but God, in, in the sense that you make us perfect. That your perfection, that your goodness gets to be displayed through us. God, I pray that every person in this room, God, that they would take up the mantle, the identity, anything that has been told them that is a lie before. God, I pray that all of those would be shed away and that they would hear son. They would hear daughter. They would hear mighty warrior, deeply loved, called to take the light into the darkness. God, I pray that we would be people who are about reconciliation, reclamation, redemption, and that, God, we would leave this place, God, filled with your spirit, God, filled to a place where we cannot contain it, where it's just spilling out of us, that when people see us, they see something different. They see hope. They see love. They see peace. They see grace. And that, God, as we go into this battle, that, God, others... God, that that spirit, that that love, that that grace, that that hope would be spilled out onto them. God, give us opportunities. Give us conversations. God, give us boldness and courage to share your good news, the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, that he came here because he loves us, that he died on a cross for our sins, and that that, 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 that death could not hold him back. And so we have hope and new life. And that, God, that story would be portrayed to others. That, God, I pray with expectation... That, God, because of the people in this room, because of this new identity, that, God, lives would be changed. That those who were dead would come alive. And that, God, we as a church, God, I'm praying with expectation now that there would be those who are dead to sin now who would be brought to life in Jesus. God, I pray in expectation that they would become a part of this community. And, God, that we would celebrate their life, new life in baptism. Who knows when? But, God, I'm praying with, with confidence now knowing that you are the God who gives victory. But God, I'm proclaiming that victory now. God, would you fill us up? Would you send us out? Would you just give us the direction of our heart and our feet in the way that you'd have us go? And God, would we be reminded that you are with us, that as you said to your disciples, as Jesus said as he left this world, that surely I am with you even to the very end of the age, that we would leave with boldness and confidence, knowing that we do not walk alone, that you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.